this way. As he taught, Jesus said, watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting in their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live in, live on. The meaning for this morning's passage is really not all that complicated, right? God is more interested in the condition of your heart and the status that you have or the money that you give as an offering. That's it. Give your heart to God wholly, give it to him truly, and the rest should follow. I could end the sermon there, right? I have some more that I'll share with you here this morning, just for the fun of it, right? Let's start this morning with money. As Jesus is uh, teaching the crowds here, he has been um, kind of going back and forth with some of the religious leaders and a- answering questions, sometimes challenging, sometimes from people who are earnest. And then he has turned his attention now to the crowds. He has them stop and do some people watching here as they sit opposite the offering collection for the temple treasury here. They would have had uh, 13 large wooden boxes placed as offering bins with these kind of trumpet-shaped bronze funnels. Uh, when I was writing this, at first I, uh, I said, kind of like you see at a toll booth, but even now today, a lot of people do cards and things for toll booth or the other things. You guys know what I mean, though, right? Where it kind of funnels in like that. It would have been like that for these, uh, these boxes. And these chests were actually labeled for different types of offering. You know, some might go to things like purchasing animals for, for offerings in the temple, or they go towards wood for the burnt offerings. Some were designated for things like oil and fragrances or for gold to cover the mercy seat, the same way that we have designated giving funds at the church here today. Uh, Around six of these boxes were designated specifically for free will offerings that went to the building and upkeep of the temple. And as Jesus and the disciples watched, they observed the more wealthy donors tossing their gifts, most likely uh, several silver coins that might have made a pretty satisfying clink as they went in the box. And then they observe this widow who tosses in two copper coins. You may have heard of them uh, called a mite. That was from the King James Version. A mite is just old English term for something little or of minute value. Uh, The coin would have actually been a lepta. It was the smallest, least valued coin in circulation at the time. In contrast to all the other gifts uh, given by the wealthy donors, her two coins probably would have made a pretty pitiful clink as they went into the box they dropped in. But Jesus singles out her gift as being greater and more impressive than all the rest. Because ultimately, God doesn't really care about the monetary value of the gift. It's not as if he needs it, right? In, uh, in Psalm 50, A psalmist named Asaph pictures God speaking to his people from the heavenly throne room, and he testifies against them, saying, Why do you keep bringing these offerings before me, and yet you hate my instruction? 
You join with thieves and adulterers. You lie and you cheat. You despise and slander your own family. And he asks then, think I need your sacrifices? In verse 9, he says, I have no need of a bull from your stall or of goats from your pens. For every animal of the forest is mine. I have the cattle on a thousand hills. So he doesn't need your cows. He's got enough cows. He made the cows, right? The Apostle Paul says something similar in uh, chapter 17 when he's witnessing to the people in Athens. He tells them, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples built by human hands. He's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. He's specifically speaking against the idols and the temples uh, in pagan society, but he's making a point as well that everything belongs to God. God doesn't need our temples. He made us and the world. Doesn't need our temples. Doesn't need our money to upkeep the temples. Well, now, you might be sitting here thinking, though, well, that sounds like good news, but if that's the case, why do we keep taking an offering every week? Here at church, right? Ultimately, the money is not for God. It's for God's people. God never needed a temple, but God, God's people have desperately desired a place where they could look to, God, look to for God's presence. And it's the same today. You know, if we ever got rid of this church building, the purposes of God in the world would not be thwarted. If we stopped paying staff like me uh, to provide leadership in some specified way or to teach, we could still gather together as God's people led by the Holy Spirit. And yet, as a community, we believe that it matters that we gather together in a space designated for worship and for the study of God's Word. As a community, we've made it a value to compensate individuals like me and other staff to help facilitate ministry and lead us in our mission forward so we can reach our community for Christ more effectively. I'm particularly grateful for that because it means that I can devote my time and energy uh, to ministry in this way without having to worry about getting some other job to uh, help provide for my family and our needs. So uh, I'll say all that to say um, this is all about providing for God's mission in the world, using our resources to steward it in some specific way. And so again, when we give offerings, it's not because God needs it, but it's because it's a gift that God has given us everything that we have in, the, in our world, and we turn it back to him in praise. And we do that together. If at some point you felt like this, this church body was not stewarding the resources that we have in a way that was conducive to God's mission, it might be natural to say, well, I'm going to stop giving towards that. I would just ask, rather than just stopping to give it, talk to us about it too. Tell us, hey, we don't think that the money is being spent in a way that is actually appropriate. That way we can be better stewards of the gifts that God has entrusted us with. We want to follow Jesus the best that we can in as most responsible a way as possible. God doesn't need our money, but when we give it for his glory, beautiful, redemptive things can happen in the world. That's why I like that story that we read for the kids earlier about Miss Fanny's hat. Right? She gives of her best, and she does it joyfully because she believes in the work of her church. That's why this widow's offering is so touching. She believes enough in God's redemptive mission in the world that she's willing to give all that she had rather than to keep it back. Even keep one of those coins back for herself. Some people might call that foolish. Jesus calls it faith. 
she has given this immense faith. This stands in stark contrast to the teachers of the law. Parading around in luxurious robes, making sure that they get seats of honor at banquets and synagogue meetings and leaving lengthy uh, prayers in public to show off their big vocabularies and their spiritual prowess. Their large gifts to the temple treasury are out of their excess wealth. It's not a sacrifice. What's worth, worse is that their love of prestige and wealth causes them to devour widows' houses. So we see this woman who is, is giving of her, uh, out of the little that she has in order to give to these people who don't seem like they're doing that much with it. And Jesus is showing the, the dramatic contrast here. Now their positions they were kind of like a weird mix of religious leader and legislator. They had moral authority to guide God's people in understanding his words. And that was also bound up in making the laws that dictated the practice of everyday life. It seems as if it came with a whole host of temptations that often accompany public office. Fancy clothes, concern for public appearance, a tendency to exploit the poor for the benefit of those with larger wallets who can donate to their cause. Fortunate that we don't have that same problem with our politicians today, right? Of course we do. We know that this temptation exists in politics. And yet for some reason, a large portion of Christians in the U.S. can seem fixated on this idea of getting and keeping power. There's this idea that we need Christian people in seats of power so that we can get the right sorts of policies passed. Then the world will be a better place if only we had a little more influence. Right? God doesn't need influence. Can he use it? Absolutely. If you've got it, steward it. But God doesn't need it to accomplish his will. You know how I know he doesn't need it? Because Jesus began the most socially transformative movement in history with a handful of uneducated fishermen and tax collectors and other people. They had no positions of power or influence to speak of, but we remember all of their names and hardly any of the names of the teachers of the law, right? We've come to stop, we need to stop fearing loss of our influence because fear leads to all sorts of destructive behavior. It starts causing us to become more rigid in our boundary markers while also excusing unthinkable behavior as long as it serves our motives. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. Fear is the path to the dark side. Wait, that's Star Wars, right? That's not the Bible. How about this one? 1 John 4.18. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Influence in this world will grow and it will fade, but God's kingdom will remain. Jesus never once taught us to be concerned about our position in society, literally the opposite of that. He said that we, we would most definitely experience persecution. And any cultural influence that we have or have had is privilege. It's not a right. It's a gift to be stewarded for the gospel and nothing more. This widow had little of value to give and little influence to offer, and yet Jesus exalted her, her gift, more than any other because it was given so sacrificially and so freely. Which brings us back to the main point. God wants 
God is more interested in the condition of your heart than your status or the amount of money that you give. God doesn't want extravagant gifts or influential spokespeople. God wants your heart. It doesn't matter your class or prestige. There's room for you at God's table. It doesn't matter what amount of resources you have to offer. Whatever gifts that you give from your heart is meaningful in his eyes. God, what God wants is the whole of our lives. Before the passage that we read this morning, Jesus was debating back and forth with some Pharisees and Sadducees, and one of the teachers of the law is actually impressed by him, and, he, and he's not angered. So the teacher genuinely asks Jesus, what would you say is the most important of God's commands to obey? Jesus quotes from a famous line in Deuteronomy, uh, the Jewish people call it the Shema. It's literally just the first word in Hebrew, listen. The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, everything that you have. The second is this, to love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. What does God want us to give? Just to love him with everything that we have. All of life is a gift. So we should treat it like the gift that it is with wild generosity, responsible stewardship, sincere gratitude. One of my favorite worship artists is uh, Matt Mayer. You may have heard some of his songs on the radio before. Uh, a favorite of mine is called Letting Go. There's a particular line that I wanted to share with you all today. and We'll, we'll hear the rest of the song here in a moment as we reflect on it for our closing. But it says, I stand before you, Lord, I'm humbled by the love you give away. A widow's might, my will, my pride, that's all I have to offer. There's truth to that line. And when it all comes down to it, no matter our resources or our status, our will and pride laid before the Lord are barely as valuable as two copper coins. And even those coins aren't as big as they used to be. As we get older, we discover more and more just how frail and how small we are. That's called wisdom. Uh, I got, I remember getting married and having this uh, realization, I'm not as good of a person as I thought I was. Anyone else have that experience? You start discovering how selfish you are when you all, all of a sudden you have to share your life with someone else. Then I had a, a kid, we had Deacon, and I was like, oh, well, I'm really not as good of a person as I thought I was. And then we had like three more kids. And uh, I'm afraid to tell you, I don't think that your pastor is that good of a person at all. <laughs> the beauty is that God accepts us with gladness. Not just your money or your talents, but you, all of you. He accepts you. He longs for this relationship with you. Don't hold anything back. May we hold on to his love and let go of our selfish desires and our fears. Maybe draw closer to his heart. Let's pray. Lord, as we close our service this morning and as we um, reflect with this next song, we pray that you might speak to us in calmness and stillness. Help to 
loosen any of the, the tight bonds that we might have on our, our own heart. Loosen our grip, our stuff, on our sense of our need to do everything by ourselves. We might receive from you generous abundance that you give. Soften our hearts, Lord. Pray that in your name. Amen. Let's reflect on this closing song together.